Hello, welcome to Wit Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer. And today, we were supposed to be talking about two book adaptations. They were modern, young adults, rom-com kind of adaptations of Mansfield Park. Mm -hmm. And we are still going to talk about one of them. Yes, mine. (laughs) Yes, we're going to talk about... Solving for X by Leanne Copens. But we will not be talking about the book that I was supposed to read. And just right off the top here, I want to let you guys know, I started reading the book and I was immediately struck by a couple of things that didn't feel right for me and were like pretty big red flags. Mm-hmm. I read a book by Jenny James, who has written a number of books, uh, various adaptations. And in this book specifically, I felt as though she very much tokenized the Navajo people. Mm-hmm. She made her main characters Navajo, but then really wrote them in a way that was very like stereotypical when she needed it to be. And she, it really felt like she was taking advantage of certain aspects of their culture without really respecting it. And that didn't sit right with me. And in all honesty, if I'm going to read a story about a Navajo family, I would rather it be written by a Navajo writer. Mm-hmm. And this, this isn't apparently her only book where she tokenizes indigenous people. She has another book. It's actually her Northanger Abbey adaptation, which is also heavily influenced by Twilight, where she also takes advantage and tokenizes the Quilute people. Okay. Very much like Stephanie Meyer did. I don't know what it is about the Mormons and tokenizing indigenous people, but they need to stop. Um, Sorry if you're a Mormon, but that's what these two authors have in common. Uh, Stephanie Meyer and Jenny James. But anyway, the point of the story is I will not be discussing that book. But instead, I have a great collection of books by indigenous authors that you guys should read. Uh, They look amazing. A couple of them are romances, so really falls into this. And I will kind of give you guys a rundown of my recommendations after Katrina talks about her book. Yes. Which is actually the one I wanted to read, but she called it first. (laughs) So, (laughs) well, (laughs) well, it looked more like a modern like yes. kind of rom-com book whereas yes. mine looked a little off and it had some self-publishing issues which mm-hmm. you know I don't want to like nitpick but this one it really had some self-publishing sure. issues like yeah. you needed a formatter but anyway and then just so you know after we talk about my book after mm-hmm. we give you some really great book recommendations by indigenous authors we are also going to talk about um what happened recently over this past weekend with the um overturning of roe versus wade exactly essentially we feel like we're two women with a platform and we're going to talk about it yeah and specifically i actually have a little bit of uh historical context that i'd like to share that i found out while doing some research about it that relates specifically to the time period that austin would have been in Mm -hmm. and essentially i wanted to kind of answer the question if Jane Austen could have, or if Jane Austen needed to have an abortion, could she have gotten one? Yeah. So 
Just a heads up that that is going to come at the end of, toward the end of our podcast after we talk about my book and give you those book recs. So um, it's just kind of a trigger warning for anyone who Mm -hmm. is still reeling from what happened over the weekend, is still processing anything. Um, Pause it there if you need to, come back to it later on. Yep. And don't worry, we'll have a a break so you'll you'll definitely know when to start. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. So let's start with Katrina's book. Yes. I want to hear about it. Tell me about Solving for X. All right. So Solving for X is a YA romance. Well, actually, it's kind of like a little bit teen fiction also. Um, The Mm -hmm. main characters are high school students. And really, its connection to Mansfield Park is you have kind of the Fanny and Edmund character. And then you have the... Crawford, like the Mary Crawford and Henry characters mm-hmm. as well. And that's that really is what plays up the Mansfield Park connection. There are mm-hmm. some names of places that kind of, you know, pay homage to Mansfield Park as well. And then some of the story beats like hit with mm-hmm. the original Mansfield Park. But other than that, it's really kind of, I saw it kind of more as its own story. So if you weren't familiar with Mansfield Park, you know, you could still read this and enjoy it, and you mm-hmm. don't necessarily need to know the story of Mansfield Park to to gain anything from this novel. So our main character is a girl named Ashley Price. She is living with her aunt and uncle in Pittsburgh. She has to move there because of this horrible scandal that happened in her small town where she is from um, at her high school. And I feel comfortable saying what the scandal is because it happens at the beginning of the book. Uh, so it's not really giving anything away. And and Pittsburgh is supposed to be the nicer place? Uh, yes. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering, I think Leanne Copens is from Pitts. I want to say she lives in Pittsburgh. Let me just double check really quick. Um, because it is, Pittsburgh is, really described very beautifully and i'm just like okay maybe i need to go check it out i feel like people either do absolutely nothing but make fun of pittsburgh or absolutely love pittsburgh i mean she writes it beautifully and it kind of like takes place in the fall time Mm -hmm. so you know foliage and like misty mornings um i feel like is it Perks of Being a Wallflower was also in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I think, because isn't Pittsburgh the one with the tunnel through the mountains? I mean, it could be. Um, I'm sorry. So Leanne Copens is actually from Columbus, Ohio, not Pittsburgh, but maybe she visits there. Maybe she I knows mean, someone there. I mean, it is described beautifully. Um, But I'm digressing. The same can be said. What I said about people in Pittsburgh is the same thing I can say about people in Ohio. So... <laughs> Um, so anyway, so she's living there with her aunt and uncle in Pittsburgh. Her aunt and mm-hmm. uncle are wealthy. Her, her, where she's from in her small town with like her parents. And she, I think her mom has like triplets or like something like that. And mm-hmm. so like it's a busy household and it's a small town. And what mm-hmm. happens to her is like, she's like really smart in math. And she's, she's just like a really smart, hardworking, scholarly student in general. But like math is mm-hmm. really her thing. And... What is it? I, it's this girl who wants her to help cheat 
on something and she refuses to do it and the girl mm-hmm. spreads a nasty rumor about her so she's the girl is best friends with the head cheerleader and the head cheerleader is dating like the head of the lacrosse team i guess lacrosse mm-hmm. is a big deal um and the best friend is like spreads this rumor that she slept with the head of the lacrosse team and then everybody like bullied her like terribly because of it like they like really extreme bullying Mm -hmm. you know she's like went into depression because of all this and like she Mm -hmm. left she she left her hometown um after the bullying wouldn't ease up and she went and lived with her aunt and uncle in pittsburgh and she was really really sad and then um her next door neighbor sees her outside and like goes over and like introduces himself and tries to talk to her and that's our edmund character his name Ah. is vincent yes that's my cat's name (laughs) (laughs) um vincent is very good at math his family's very rich um so it's like kind of like a boy next door girl next door kind of vibe between these Mm -hmm. two she has a huge crush on him and they're friends um Mm -hmm. and he's like head of the mathletes um but he's also still super popular he goes to mansfield prep that's the school and then that's where she ends up going and it's like a kind of hoity-toity like mm-hmm. private type school mm-hmm. anything called prep that yes. sounds about right yep. yeah so when we introduce her it's the next year so a year about a year has passed since the incident in her hometown and mm-hmm. that's kind of we get some background information in the beginning and then now it's like starting this new school year vincent's a senior she's a junior he has a younger sister named julia who's like a sophomore um and they're Mm. friends and like things are good and julia's dating this lacrosse player named rush (laughs) 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 connection there rushwood interesting (laughs) um everything seems great ashley's like i have such a big crush on this guy maybe this is the year i'll finally like get over myself and tell him how I feel because mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the mathletes this year and he's head of the mathletes and we're going to state and like we're going to fall in love over math mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the chapters end with these like math jokes they look like little notes that they pass each other and they're math jokes um uh-huh. so you know have fun with those if you pick it up <laughs> um they're like cheesy they're real cute so start of the new year Things are going good. Uh-oh. Q are Henry and Mary Crawford. Crossover. Brother and sister team. Whose names are Sophia. Mm-hmm. And, oh, shoot. I messed up, guys. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Vincent is the Henry Crawford. My bad. Ah. I mixed up my notes. Um. That makes more sense <laughs> based on my cat's personality. <laughs> Brendan is the Edmund character. So my bad. Okay. I'm sorry about that, guys. Okay. I like totally okay. messed up my notes. And then so I now I can start. Thing. Okay. Now I can start imagining Henry Crawford as my cat. There okay, you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So Sophia comes in and she's like into Brendan and Brendan's like obviously into her because she's described as super hot. And then Vincent, her brother is mm-hmm. also described as super duper hot and gorgeous and all the girls want him and he's like into Ashley Price, right? Very, mm-hmm. very similar to like Mansfield Park kind of love square. I guess I'm going to call it a love square because <laughs> it's not really triangle because there's four people involved. Um, yeah. So like 
that ensues, essentially, you guys. Um, mm-hmm. A couple other things that are similar crossovers. There's a Sadie Hawkins dance that happens that is kind of reminiscent nice. of the ball. So Ashley Price goes with Vincent, the Henry Crawford character, and Sophia takes Brendan. Um, other things are Brendan's dad is away on business a lot. Um, so it kind of echoes back to Sir Thomas being away in Antigua for, you know, a large chunk of like, well, not a large chunk of the book, but like essentially like he was away for a good amount of time. So that kind of echoes to that. At one point, like things get so bad in Pittsburgh for Ashley between like the Brendan, Sophia, Vincent drama that she goes back home to her mom for Thanksgiving. So that harkens to Fanny going back to her parents in Portsmouth. And then Vincent goes to visit her there, kind of like Henry Crawford goes to Portsmouth. Um, She gets in a little over her head with Vincent. Um, She like... She's, like, very much keeping him at arm's length, even though he's obviously into her. But, like, there's a couple times where she, like, gives in and, like, kisses him. And, like, you know, he accuses her of leading him on when she's finally like, no, I can't be with you. And then he, like, yells at her a la um, in Emma when Elton, like, yells at Emma. It felt very much like that because they're in a car. Uh, So, like, and, like, the coach. So, like, okay, a little bit of Emma thrown in. And then at the end, a big scandal comes out and you understand why the brother and sister duo are suddenly in Pittsburgh. They're originally from like Hollywood or L.A. or like someplace in California. Um, And there's a scandal and a reason why they have to go to Pittsburgh. And there's a connection to Brendan's family with that between the dads. Um, So, you know, little little tidbits there. So, yeah, that's. That's all I'm really going to describe to you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course. The problem with this whole Katrina gets to talk about her book and I'm not talking about my book is that you guys don't really get anything out of it. Uh (laughs) You just have to pick it up. Um, So this book was written in 2014. um, And like I said, it's written for like, I feel like a younger crowd. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. like if you're a junior or a senior in high school or, like, you're in your early 20s, like, teens, early 20s, you know, that version of Katrina might have, like, been more into this book. But, like, mm-hmm. I found myself rolling my eyes so much and being like, these stupid kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially at the end. I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, so I just finished a book that, and this it's not related to Jane Austen, but I just finished a book that was an enemies to lovers with a touch of never been kissed. Mm -hmm. And so like, you're telling me about this book and I'm just like, because obviously like never been kissed. She like pretends to be a high school student and like, yeah. And I'm just sitting here like, that would have been like the perfect book for me to like swap to when I was done with that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I should have read that one. <laughs> I mean, you still can. I, I, I can. I won't say it's like unreadable. It, it definitely is mm-hmm. not. It's like it has a good pace to it. Um, mm-hmm. There are some parts, though, that are a little repetitive. Like mm-hmm. Ashley Price is always like looking at Vincent like, God, he's so hot. Or God, he's gorgeous. Or like this <laughs> over and over. It's like, we get it. He's hot. Like, yeah. Yeah. calm yeah. down. Um, 
And then, like, she's very obsessive over Brendan, obviously, because she has this huge crush on him, and then, like, things are weird. But there's also, like, some other parts of this book that I was like, I don't know. And, like, it makes me wonder, like, if today's teens, like, would be really interested in something of substance, because um, in this book, Brendan, as I mentioned, Brendan's dad is away on business a lot. So he's, like, with his sister and his mom, and his mom has a lot of difficulty with that, and apparently it comes out that she's an alcoholic, and, like, Brendan is having Mm. to, like, pick up the pieces of that and, like, take care of her in addition to Julia, and, like, it's a very stressful and difficult situation for him, but, like, it's never really, like, addressed fully, or, like, it's just, it's, it feels like, it almost feels well, like it's a character trait of the mom, which obviously it isn't. But, like, it's – I don't know. It's kind of strange. And then, like, they at the end, his it's, like, said that, you know, his dad's going to be around more so he can help with it. Mm-hmm. But then also it's like, oh, my parents aren't home tonight, Ashley. Come on over. They're out downtown. They'll be out getting, like, drunk or whatever. So, like, it's just, like, it's – I don't know. It's kind of – it flip-flops between that a lot, where it's, yeah. like, this is a very serious issue, but at the same time, like, nobody's doing anything about it, or it's also, like, a little bit... I don't know. Well, so I want to defend pos- the possible reason why that might be, like, why they made her an alcoholic. Could be because it gives that sense that we get from the original text of, like, Mrs. Bertram not really having control over yeah. what's going on, Detached. or just not caring enough. Yeah, very detached because how do you do that in a modern setting i mean i could think of a couple of ways but that's because i've seen the like hoity-toity influencer moms on like social media but that if this was written in 2014 it wasn't as much of a thing Mm -hmm. so like i could see why they might want to like make her an alcoholic or make her like you know a low-key drug addict or on like uh not laudanum but the modern version of laudanum valium and stuff like that Mm -hmm. all the time you know so i could see why they would do that but the fact that they don't address it or that it seems like at the end that the dad just makes it worse yeah i don't know it's like does the dad decide to stay because he realizes his wife is an alcoholic he knows like I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, the adults in this are very much, they're not even just secondary characters. They're just, like, tertiary characters that the main ones bump mm. up against, essentially. Like, the aunt, Ashley Price's aunt, her name is Aunt Kristen. She, like, has, like, some big parts, but they're not, again, they they lack, like, a lot of substance. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, that could, again, hearken to, like, if this is a teen novel, like, yeah. A lot of teen novels, like, focus on the actual teens, like, working through the problems, not really yeah. going to adults, like, doing yeah. it on their own. Like, that was a common theme, especially back then. So that could be another reason why. Yeah, it sounds like, well, so, let me start off by saying that, like, YA is kind of this weird nebulous now. Because, like, when we were growing up, we were growing up while it was kind of become, like, while it was developing. Mm-hmm. So, like, we read it when we were supposed to. And now as adults, we still go back and read what is considered YA. But I feel like most of the quote unquote YA books that we would read are probably aimed for the like older age. Yeah. Whereas this, if it's talking about characters who are like seniors and juniors and sophomores in high school, that probably means that it is written for freshman through senior year. Yeah. And like a lot yeah. of like, the so it's things not, that, it's not for us. Exactly. And a lot yeah. of the things that happen like, 
you know, I'd put myself in like how I was when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, this would have been been a big deal to me in high school. Mm-hmm. And then like as a 30 something year old now yeah. I'm just like, ugh, please. <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, like I said, like it is totally readable. It has great pace. Um, mm-hmm. If you, you know, you like kind of fun, romancy kind of books, then pick it up. If you like math humor, there's a lot of <laughs> dorky math puns throughout, um, which are really fun to read. So, yeah. Do you think that this book could be turned into a fun film adaptation sure. a la, like, 10 Things I Hate About oh, You? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all know 10 Things I Hate About You is actually Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. And this is just how I'm picturing this, yeah. is that this could just be Mansfield Park. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And there's a scene in here that very much harkens to Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. So, you know, if that like gets you interested read it for that scene it was (laughs) i was like oh no (laughs) um so yeah did they send a car flying through a back window into the oh my gosh that's like one of the best scenes in the movie yeah (laughs) yes how do we take miles off of a car just drive it in backwards no Um, no. they weren't trying to take miles off a car but yes a car did go through a glass full (gasps) glass (sighs) back window wall essentially a glass wall i guess i haven't seen that movie in forever so uh there you go that's my awesome okay well again i don't have a book to tell you guys about so instead i'm gonna tell you about some other books that you should read because i am not for tokenizing indigenous people or any people really like we should not be doing that to black indigenous people of color So instead of reading the book that I was going to read, you should read these instead. All of the books that I am suggesting are written by Indigenous authors. Um, And I'm going to start right off with the romance books. This is actually coming from an article that I wrote on littleinfinite.com. And when I was doing research into figuring out, you know, different types of books to put on this list, uh, romance was actually kind of hard because... A lot of romance novels that feature indigenous characters are very much like stereotypes. They're not written like like important characters. They're not even sometimes like fleshed out as characters. They're just kind of like tokenized is the best word to, is is a word to use, but also they're just like something exotic to put in kind of a thing. So it was really hard to find romance novels with indigenous characters who were actually people. But I found a couple, and these look like a lot of fun. So the first one is called Heartbeat Braves by Pamela Sanderson. And it's actually part of, I think, a trilogy, or at the very least, a series of hers. And it's essentially a, you know, girl leaves town, girl comes back to town. She doesn't really want to be in town. She doesn't want to face her past or like who she is now that she's back and everything like that. And then she falls in love with a guy and everything kind of all of her plans kind of fall apart because she is in love with this guy. Mm -hmm. 
So the characters are uh, indigenous and they work at the Crooked Rock Urban Indian Center and that's where they meet and they get to know each other and they come together while talking about like reservation life Mm -hmm. and how important their work is working at the Indian Center and helping their community and everything like that. And it's very swoony, like sweep you off your feet kind of thing. So yeah, so that's Heartbeat Braves by Pamela Sanderson. So then I also have Hearts Unbroken by Cynthia Leach Smith. Yeah, I've 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 seen this one a lot of places actually. <laughs> yeah, this one is described as a high school love story. Uh so it's not really a spicy romance, but if you like kind of what Katrina was talking about with her <laughs> book, you might like this one cuz it is very much like the young adult kind of thing and it's about a uh, an indigenous girl who happens to be going to school in a very white middle class school. She's dumped by her boyfriend. She's kind of like mocked and like picked on and everything like that. Eventually, she ends up having to work on the school newspaper and they are covering the inclusive version of the Wizard of Oz that the school is putting on that year. And the fact that the parents at the school are happy with the diverse version of this play. Wow. Yeah. Talk about yeah. talk about hot topics. Yeah. So yeah. But so while the while uh, the two characters are covering the story and dealing with all of the things that happen with that, they're also slowly falling in love because it's a romance. Nice. So, yeah. So this one is very much like very modern, obviously talks about important topics that, you know, are going on today and things along those lines. So I'm just going to read off a couple of more books. I'm not going to kind of go into too much detail, but I did want to hit on the romance novels because, of course, you know romance is a theme around here Mm -hmm. so um i have three fiction books to recommend the first one is the firekeeper's daughter yes by angeline uh booley yes i believe is how you say her name read that book (laughs) It, it is on my tbr it is on my tbr um there's also there there by tommy orange double yes Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's I didn't know you were going to list these books. So like, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. Keep going. Um, I also have The Removed by Brandon Hobson. I haven't read that one, but it is on one of my TBRs. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also have one second. Sorry, I had to get this one off my shelf. Um, I also have Black Sun by Rebecca Rowanhorse, which is a sci-fi Oh, I've, see, I've seen that one, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it either, but seriously, science fiction. Yeah, and I was like, yes. Sci-fi is my, like, uh, one of my favorite genres. It's inspired by the civilizations of the pre-Columbian Americas, which right there, you have me intrigued. Pre-Columbian Americas in space. Yes, please. Um, but funny story, I believe... That Rebecca Rowanhorse is the same Rebecca Rowanhorse who wrote Resistance Reborn, which is one of the Star Wars books on my Star Wars TBR, because I'm reading my way across a galaxy far, far away. Uh, so yeah, and I actually did start the beginning of this one, uh, Resistance Reborn, and I can tell you right now, her writing is spectacular. Nice. So there's that. 
And then if you guys don't want any any big books or anything like that to read, uh, you should also check out some poetry. There is a post-colonial love poem by Natalie Diaz, Feed by Tommy Pico, and Corpse Whale. I do not know how to say this person's name. It's DG. I don't know how to say the DG part. It's very much not like initials. So I apologize, but it's DG Nanook Oakpick. I believe they are Inuit and the poetry looks freaking amazing and absolutely beautiful. So you should check them out as well. But yeah, support those indigenous authors instead of authors who take advantage of indigenous cultures for the sake of their own stories. So this is where we're going to stop talking about books. And we're going to start talking about uh, current events and such. So if you do not want to hear about the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade, now is your time to pause or skip to a different podcast. Uh, we totally understand if you don't want to listen, you know, everything is being inundated with opinions, uh, with cries of rage and anger. So we totally understand. Just know that. We support a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. Uh, so if you if you have any doubts in your mind about this podcast and what we stand for, that's what we stand for. <laughs> we stand for a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body. So, yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> Is there anything you would like to say, Katrina, before I start talking about what I found? Because apparently when I get angry, I start doing research. Um <laughs> Um, I feel frustration, mm -hmm. major disappointment. I feel mm -hmm. like time and time again, our government and our leaders are letting us down in all of the ways. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times they use the media and things to like distract us from issues that are really important to us. And it just feels like even more so dividing people who mm -hmm. probably aren't as vehemently opposed to what has happened as it seems. Like, I don't know. It's just really sad considering the day before um, what was decided about. Mm -hmm. They've decided that, like, you can't we can't leave it up to states to decide what to do about their gun laws. Oh, I forgot about the gun laws. Um, no, we can't that. do that. But yet it's okay to like, yeah, let so states decide what to do about a person's body. And it's just really frustrating because like my point mm -hmm. is that women who go to get abortions do not kill babies. It's people who take AR-15s into schools who kill babies. Mm -hmm. Those are the people mm -hmm. who kill babies. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter if that baby is in kindergarten, in fourth grade, in high school. It doesn't matter if that baby was a staff member. That is somebody's baby. And it's yep. it's more than just, I, I understand that it's so much more than just restricting gun laws. It's also a mental health crisis as well. Like restricting gun laws will not solve those things. Putting more focus and energy into funding like mental health and support for people who are obviously very sick. 
Right. But that's also not going to completely solve things either. And I think that restrict personally, this is my personal opinion, uh, that restricting gun laws would do more for solving the problem than just trying to treat medical or no, the, you need the mental both health stuff. Is what I'm yeah. saying. Oh, you, you need, need both to both. fix it. Yeah, right. I'm not. I'm, but yeah, I think I wasn't the one that's one over the other. No, 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 no. You what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that if we want to see a major impact in the amount of school shootings that there are, and actually just mass shootings in general, if we want to see that number go down. And you have to choose between one or the other because, let's face it, they're never going to be handled together. Gun restriction is what's going to pull that number down before mental health care. Because no matter what they do in terms of mental health care, people are still going to have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that isn't something everybody can do. Paying for mental health care is very much a privilege. And on top of that, even if they decide to make it free, which, yes, we need that. Um, there's still such a stigma around receiving mental health care that people won't do it, but they'll still have access to guns. Whereas that is, it's not stigmatized in the same way. Like you can have a gun and people aren't going to think, oh my gosh, that guy's crazy. Or Mm -hmm. you're weak for having a gun. But if you have depression, somebody's going to be like, why are you so weak? Why can't you just be happy? Because trust me, I come from a family who refuses to even discuss mental health, let alone admit that they need therapy. <laughs> so even if it was free, like people in my family wouldn't go. It's it's terrifying the world we live in right now. Yeah. I'm just but saying, you're right, like, the fact it, that it needs like your like yes, you need to have mm-hmm. more restrictive gun laws. That's your step number one. And then like Yeah. Also working on the mental health crisis and the stigmatization that goes along yeah. with it is is a part of that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Thursday, guns got more rights than women did on Friday was ridiculous. Because essentially what happened Thursday was the Supreme Court said that the law in New York that restricts concealed carry is unconstitutional. States cannot make laws limiting where you can take a concealed firearm. Then on Friday, they decided that states can make laws restricting what women can do with their own bodies. So guns have more rights than women in some cases. Women have less bodily autonomy than a corpse right now. That's the one that gets me. Because if somebody dies and has a perfectly good organ, if that person, when they were alive, didn't say that doctors could take their organs to give to somebody who is dying, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. But a woman has to carry a fetus inside her body, using her body, sucking nutrients and energy from her body, possibly putting her in danger of dying for nine months without her consent. And the Supreme Court decided that the states get to decide if they will allow women to abort a fetus, even if it means that the woman will die. So that means that 
In some states, women won't have issues. In other states, women will not have bodily autonomy. And I happen to live in one of those states. Katrina lives in a state where it's, you know, you're going to have free and easy access Mm -hmm. to abortion and reproductive health care. I live in a state where they've already put through a six-week abortion ban. And our senator has said uh, that married women don't need birth control. I wouldn't be surprised if my state is one of the states that starts to put in place laws that say that people with etopic pregnancies can't get abortion. Or if after six weeks, actually, I don't know if this might be covered in the six-week bill, but let's say after six weeks, uh, you need a medical abortion because your fetus is non-viable and your body won't reject it, which means you can get sepsis and you can die. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what my state, what if my state has banned that as well. I have no idea. I didn't look into it that far. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if my state starts to put laws into place that allow you to be charged with criminal activity if you have a miscarriage. And I have a friend who is going to start doing IVF. She's, she's getting her IVF done in a state that will have abortion protections and uh, reproductive health care. However, she lives in this state and IVF is like you can have miscarriages fairly easy with IVF. So I told her husband, who's actually the one that I speak to more often, I told him you need to keep an eye on all of these bills just in case. And I can't believe that. That is something that my friends have to deal with on top of the fact that they're trying to have a baby. Yeah. Like, because that's already stressful enough. The fact that they are trying so hard to have a baby and it's so expensive and they have to go to a different state to get IVF. And then when they come home, the laws could have changed enough to where if something doesn't go right, she could be thrown in jail. And... Or, well, at at the very least, like, an in-depth investigation will be done and imagine having a miscarriage. Yeah. After trying so hard for a child that you want to have and then undergoing a very serious and strenuous and, let's face it, unfeeling investigation. And, yeah, an invasive investigation to try to prove that you didn't cause your own miscarriage. So you're trying to have a baby. You've put so much into this. Then you miscarry, and then you have to prove that you didn't do it on purpose. Which is already an issue that a lot of women face even before this. Yeah, and I will say this. um, Katrina and I are privileged. We're white. We are angry about this, but the BIPOC community has been talking about this for a long time. They've been speaking out. They've been telling us, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And while I'll admit, yeah, I'm one of those white people that was like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then was completely floored when it did. I 
And part of me, I think, I think for me, part of that was I was really hoping that after that leak, it was going to change. And I think I thought that the reason it was leaked was because it was going to change. I will say that. But I just want to say that, like, what we experience is nothing compared to what the BIPOC community experiences. And let's point out that, like, the the to the point where you're saying, like, this has been a discussion for years mm-hmm. from that community is not because they have foresight, because it was happening in their communities. Yeah, yeah. it's it's been happening in their communities. Worse things have been happening in their communities. Like, uh, women have been, like, forcefully sterilized in their communities like women were being sterilized at the border without without knowing knowing. it yeah um black women are more likely to die during childbirth than any other race and it's because they don't take like black women's pain seriously they don't take their concerns seriously or anything like that like if you want to understand what you can do to help the movement going forward you need to sit down be quiet and listen to the BIPOC community because they have been working in this and at this for years and also just take the time to educate yourself because at the end of the day it's not their responsibility to teach right (laughs) Right? i'm talking about i'm talking about before you go out attention like know what's going on but like educate your own goddamn self at the end yes you do need to educate yourself don't get me wrong what i was kind of more so thinking was like in terms of activism and i didn't actually get to that part because i was waiting for you to say something and i was like oh she's gonna say something and then i'll finish talking no but anyway so In terms of activism, when it comes to, like, going out and protesting and doing things like that and becoming part, like, community organizers and things, learn what you need to learn, sit down, shut up, and do what you're told. (laughs) There are people who have been doing this much longer than you, and they can can show you what you need to do, Mm -hmm. but you need to listen and not, like, insert yourself where you shouldn't be. Okay? So... But yeah, do your own fucking research. Speaking of, let's get to the research that I did. What a perfect <laughs> transition. Like, did... Guys, I don't want to, like, toot our own horns or anything, but we totally planned that transition. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. Yeah, no. But Again, it, remember but the two brain cells? <laughs> yeah. We have one brain cell each, and I have both of them today. It's true. Which means that I'm slightly better than she is. Which is saying something, because again, you didn't work all day. Whatever, I worked. <laughs> Okay, so with all of this going on, people who talk about how abortion is um, like easy access to abortion and the amount of abortions that are happening is a modern thing. You know, it's a modern problem. We have to regulate abortions and regulating them is a modern problem. That's not true. Abortions have been happening since the beginning of time. Are they safer now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they still happened. So I was thinking, okay, well, what were the abortion laws back in the early 1800s, back when the founding fathers wrote our constitution that our Supreme Court is supposed to be upholding? And it led me to a couple of articles. One is Abortion in the Founders Era, Violent, Chaotic, and Unregulated by Jillian Brockett. 
Brockett, sorry, by Jillian Brockett and the Washington Post. This was written after uh, the opinion was initially leaked back in May. And I also read Bringing Down the Flowers, the Controversial History of Abortion by Olga Kazan. That was from The Atlantic in 2016. And it specifically references uh, the article in the William and Mary Journal of Race, Gender and Social Justice from 2007. The paper article uh, written there was called uh, To Bring Down the Flowers, the Cultural Context of Abortion Law of Abortion Law in Early Modern England by Carla Spivak. So th- that's where I started reading this. And I know that that was a lot, but I wanted to cite my sources. So essentially, when our lawmakers look at changing the law and like reinforcing the law, they tend to look at previous laws. And in the leaked draft, at the very least, uh, Justice Alito, when he was making his opinions, he went back and he cited a couple of different dudes. He cited Sir Matthew Hale and Henry de Bracton. Both of which uh, very much state that women are not equal to men in in various ways. That's what they do. But Alito, he cited both of them because they support his personal beliefs that abortion is wrong, should be illegal, or at the very least was not what our founding fathers wanted for our country. He says that they didn't want abortion access open for, for everybody in our country, which is not necessarily true. I won't get into why they can look back at like old English laws and stuff like that to cite like modern laws. That's a whole thing in law that I don't understand. So, but despite Alito's claims that, you know, abortion isn't something should be open and legal for everyone. There's actually a lot of evidence that shows that abortions were accepted as legal in that they were not illegal or criminalized and were actually considered a medical practice back during the revolution and the early 1800s. Women had abortions. They didn't face criminal charges of any kind. And it wasn't many, many times it was not even considered like killing and quote unquote unborn baby when you had an abortion back in that time. Women of various classes had access to publish recipes in medical manuals, quote unquote, for concoctions, tinctures, various herbs and such that they could use to end a pregnancy and to prevent as well. Yeah. And to prevent. Yeah. Um, Some women just had those passed down while others were actually published Mm -hmm. in what were called medical manuals. Mm -hmm. There's also evidence to show that native women and enslaved women would also use some of the resources at their disposal to also end and prevent pregnancies as well. Now, of course, back then the methods weren't always safe. Sometimes the women did, you know, end up taking their own lives into, yeah, like they would, they could overdose, they could take the wrong kinds, they could have a reaction. In some cases, for example, uh, juniper berries were one of the herbs. Mm -hmm. If you eat too much, you will die. So they took their lives into their own hands a little bit when they were doing this. But most of the time, these concoctions worked exactly how they were intended. There actually is evidence to show, however, that sometimes men would give women these concoctions incorrectly or have them overdose and end up killing the woman and the fetus 
because even today, the number one killer of pregnant women is men or their partners. So yeah, I believe that statistic is correct. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it is a very high percentage. Okay, so some people, including a scholar by the name of Joseph de la Pena, uh, and likely others, including the Supreme Court justices, claim that while not illegal, women who had an abortion were considered morally wrong and were in fact criminalized. However, all of these people are missing one important point, and that is context for the time. For example, most of the cases where an abortion was criminalized was more likely criminalized because a man injured a pregnant woman and it resulted in an abortion. Mm -hmm. So that abortion was the, the, the person who committed that abortion in that case was the man was put in jail because he harmed a pregnant woman. It had absolutely nothing to do with the fetus. There was, however, a point during a pregnancy where abortions were frowned upon and sometimes criminalized depending on the situation. I will just say this. When abortions were used to put people in jail or to find them to criminalize a person, it wasn't just because of the abortion. There was always something else there, uh, whether it was because they were trying to crack down on illicit sex or if it was because it turned into the murder of the pregnant woman or, you know, things like that. There's always context around these these charges. So, But the point at which abortions were frowned upon was once the pregnancy hit the quickening is what it was called. The quickening happens about 16 weeks and it's when the woman could start to feel the fetus move around inside. That was when it was kind of generally considered that the fetus was a human. And we all know science has come a long way since back in the day to the point where the reason why I say these people thought that at the quickening, the fetus was considered human was because some people actually did think that it wasn't actually human until it moved around inside the woman. Some people thought that it could be like a beast or like a monster or like something out a of mythology. A demon that needed to be uh, exercised yeah. in, yeah, 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 until the quickening. Uh, so, yeah. That's why I specifically say at the quickening, at 16 weeks, the fetus was considered a human. Like, so obviously, you know, once the fetus started moving around, people were less likely to try to have an abortion. It was harder to have an abortion using the means that they had. And at that point, people started to think of it as morally wrong because, again, that's when they considered uh, the fetus to be a quote unquote human. So, all in all, my question was, could Jane Austen have gotten abortion? Or would she have been thrown in jail? Or would she have even been disenfranchised? So, she could have had an abortion. She would not have gone to jail. And I think the only way she would have been disenfranchised is if it had been a scandal on her or her family and the fact that she had gotten pregnant in the first place. Right. <laughs> like if she had gotten married and uh, got pregnant that way and had decided, no, I don't want to have a kid. Nope. No consequences to her actions at all whatsoever. There's one more thing that I want to point out. Legal oh, or criminal ahead. consequences. To, to be Legal specific. or criminal consequences. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry. Legal or criminal consequences. Or even like in, in, in certain cases, like even like with the church and the whole like morality of it, it wouldn't even have been thought of. Like she could have gone to her, her clergyman and said, oh, hey, yeah, I'm like four weeks pregnant. I'm having an abortion. And the guy would have been like, okay, are you sure you don't want to have a baby? And she would have been like, yep. And he would have been like, okay, cool. Don't eat too many juniper berries. Like that's, they happened. Yeah. And actually they happened so frequently that one of the leading causes According to two different scholars, uh, Carlos Spivak, the one that uh, wrote the the article that I referenced, uh, she is a scholar of law and English literature at Oklahoma University. And then Leslie Reagan, who's a professor of history and women's studies at the University of Illinois. Both of those women agree that one of the reasons why abortion was criminalized and became illegal in the early 1800s was well, it wasn't because they suddenly started worrying about, quote unquote, killing babies. It was actually because too many wealthy white women were having abortions. And because of that, politicians and people in charge were concerned that there weren't going to be enough people to settle the wilderness in America. So abortions became illegal even before the quote-unquote quickening because the people in charge were concerned they wouldn't have enough people to send off into the West to take over the land and kill the indigenous people. Gee, and if you're not noticing any connections to our modern society, then Mm -hmm. you need to take another look. Because seriously, one of the reasons why this is happening is because the people in charge are starting to realize that eventually they're going to have a worker shortage because millennials and Gen Z aren't having babies. But instead of, I don't know, supporting social programs that could help women afford to have families, they've just decided to strip away our rights as humans. But yeah, so that is a little bit of history of abortion and reproductive rights uh, in the early 1800s and during the uh, kind of the American Revolution time frame. I would suggest actually taking a look at that article to bring down the flowers, the central context of abortion law in early modern England by Carla Spivak. Uh, it's really interesting, especially because uh, the whole reason why she wrote it was because that Joseph Della Pena guy, like, wrote this whole thing about how, oh, abortion back then was criminal and illegal and immoral. And she's like, no, it wasn't. So she literally wrote this whole thing just to prove him wrong. And I love that shit. So <laughs> because the other thing I noticed was the only people who were like, oh, yeah, abortion was bad back then. The only people saying that were men. All of the women were like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't anything that you said it was. Like Seriously, if you've picked up a book and you've read anything, you would know that that's not true. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, uh, so that's that. I guess all I have to say is if you're not paying attention, start paying attention. Get angry if you have the energy. But until then... 
Rest. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourselves. Read a good book. Drink a hot coffee or tea. And watch Pride and Prejudice. The Colin Firth one, of course. Or the 2005 ones, of course. We've had this argument. (laughs) The point is, take care of yourself, because we're going to have to have a lot of energy to fight going forward. And again, remember, we need to start listening to the BIPOC community. So also, start educating yourself there. And for the love of God... And I know, I know this isn't what you want to hear. And I know we've all gotten the emails and the text messages. Vote in your primaries. Yeah. And hold your elected officials accountable. That's another big one. But until then, take care of yourself. Relax. Read an Austin novel. And we will be back next week talking about two more Mansfield Park adaptations. I'm reading a book called Bellevue House that actually takes place in Tennessee, which will be interesting. And Katrina is reading a book called She's the One. And these are two quote unquote modern adaptations. So we will talk to you guys next time. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a good one. Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at witbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMPodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBMPodcast.